Business owners and business leaders, listen up. This podcast is a must-listen to start to finish. Piers Linney, a powerhouse in the world of business and investment, former Dragon on Dragon's Den UK with a keen eye for potential. Piers has become a major investor in small businesses, fueling their growth and success, but his expertise does not stop there. Piers is also at the forefront of AI innovation. So take confidence from all the words that he uses to help steer you through the changes that AI is bringing to the landscape of business. Let's do this. Mr. Lee, is AI taking over the world or is it going to save the world? It's going to do a bit of both. <laughs> so it's probably going to take right. over some of the world, a lot of what we do and how we do it, both in our personal lives, in business, even at a governmental level. Right. And in some ways, it will, it will save the world. In other ways, it's going to cause complexity um, in terms of bad actors using that kind of technology. So there's going to be a balance, but I think overall, net-net, it's going to be a positive outcome. Net-net's going to be a positive outcome. So talk to us a few of the things, were the negative first. Let's finish on the positive. So in the short term, what are the implications for people? So again, AI is, let's just let's backtrack a little bit, right? So throughout history, set the scene, you had these what are called innovation curves. So mm. innovation curve is where a technology, you've got an old technology, it might be a wooden plow yeah. and the steel's used, it might be um, on-premise computing infrastructure moving to the cloud, it can be a lot, any technology basically. It can be you know, DVD, from VHS to DVDs, anything. And what happens is you get a period of time as that new technology is introduced where you get this period of fear, uncertainty and doubt. Yeah. Where they're both I've seen the curves. arguing about each other. Yeah. And eventually, inevitably, the new latest technology kicks in, it's adopted. It tends to take a bit longer than people think, and then it tends to accelerate and grow, be adopted yeah. a lot faster than we original thought. So the difference with a lot of technology, think about the, the industrial revolutions. So the first one, steam power, right? It's augmenting humans. Huge demand for these products and services. It could create an energy and power and steamships and trains, change the world. Second one was more about sort of mass production. Again, huge demand, consumerism. So what you weren't seeing is humans being displaced. You were seeing more need for cognitive labor and also physical labor and then the the third industrial revolution was more digital so let's think about broadly speaking the internet web one to web two yep. to web three and again and, and pcs and phones and you know the, the, the sort of personal computer industry and then the microsoft's of the world and apples and again you saw that what people did changed but you still had a lot more humans at work, so to speak. Now, the fourth industrial revolution, which I think is driven by artificial intelligence, and we can talk about what that actually means, I think will be different. Because eventually, this technology, and we're already seeing this, it will displace, replace cognitive labor, human cognitive labor. And eventually, it can take a bit longer, because um, you know I'm not a big believer in you know, Elon Musk is sort of um, robots wandering around your house delivering you a cup of tea, unless you've got 500 grand to buy one. So, but eventually, industrial robots, economies of scale, they become cheaper, and you will have these things wandering around your house, you know, picking up the kids' When toys. do you think that might be? I think that's sort of 10, 15, 20 years out, right. honestly, for consumer, affordable consumer yeah. ones. And they might not be humanoid, right? I think that's just the yeah. they are. The, the ideal robot for lots of tasks isn't a bipedal sort of humanoid looking robot. In some ways, we've kind of got that already, haven't we? With the little um, 
hoovers that go around. Yeah, <laughs> but your hoover, but your hoover, they haven't invented something. It's which not even is, hoover, is it? It's like well, it is a hoover, but it's not a bipedal humanoid yeah. android thing yeah. holding a hoover, cleaning up. Its form factor is designed for that specific task. So just on, so finishing that kind of pyramid of growth is that once you start displacing this cognitive labour and then especially physical labour, then a lot of us are going to have to find something else to do. Yeah, we are. Look, we're going to go there, and we're going to go there from a really good perspective in a second. I did, I did have, um, I did a bit of research here. Let me read this out, and I'll tell you who I got this from later on. So I'm not going to tell you who I got this from yet. AI is a way to make everything that we care about better. What do you think of that? Um, it can make lots of things better, but it can also make cyber <laughs> cyber criminals better. So it depends on what you call better. Now. Everything that we care generally about. Generally speaking, if you think about what do we... Think about science and, and humanity generally, right? So our, our code is um, it's DNA. So it takes millennia for that to evolve, yeah? But as we've progressed and humans have progressed, we've only been around like, what, quarter of a million years? Probably, and only a couple of hundred years, actually, with the, the real ability to leverage technology. Um, and... You know, you, we've got to go to university, go and get a master's, do a PhD, spend your whole life researching, invent something. Somebody else comes along and stands on the shoulders of those giants yeah. and, and it keeps growing. Go back to the innovation curve model. It's different with artificial intelligence. So artificial intelligence, if you think about it, it potentially will be the last human invention. Well, at least the last one that's solely created by humans. Interesting. Because after that... Anything we do or think about Can or create or yeah. design will to some extent involve this technology. And when you talk about, you know, you hear about people talking about artificial general intelligence, artificial super intelligence. And, you know, this is not... What is that? This, well, so this is not... I'm not this, I don't have this dystopian view of these large androids trampling over the skulls of crushed humans in some other dystopian warscape. That's nonsense. This technology is still technology, like your toaster's technology. But AGI, so most most intelligences currently are specialised. So, you know, your chat GPTs, it's a yeah. chatbot, and it can do certain, very good at communication, not particularly good at mathematics, always getting better. Um, and it's not a particularly good database, for example, but there are sort of databases that, you, that are better designed to interact with large language models. And so what you're going to see is this technology sort of evolve in ways that we don't fully um, understand and you start to see it begin to iterate so what will happen is it iterate faster and, and faster and it'll start to learn and it will start to and think about humans now rather than generations you may find that these AIs have discovered something which changes the world by breakfast and by lunchtime they've designed a way to actually deploy it and design it and produce it and by dinner They've thought of something else. So the, the rate of change starts going from these long decades long or even centuries long yeah. in some cases, innovation curves, to continuous, infinite repetition every almost every second of the day. And that's when you get this exponential change. And there's a lot of talk about exponential growth. And we humans struggle to understand exponential growth because we live in a linear world. Yeah. You know, We've gone from a world where we had a, a spear, a fire, and a dog and that didn't change for 200,000 years. And our world was almost what we could see. That yeah. was it. And nothing changed year to year, season to season, generation to generation until quite recently. But we're going to see exponential. So whatever we, wherever we are on that growth curve, we think of it continuing in a linear fashion. If it goes to here, linear. Here, yeah. linear. 
It isn't. It's exponential. And you know, if someone's got a cough in Wuhan, and suddenly your kids can't go to school, yeah, that's exponential growth. That's geometric progression. Yeah, slightly different things, but that's what we're going to experience. And we, as <laughs> mere humans, find it really hard to comprehend it. And I think that, unlike other technologies, blockchain is a great example. What's the use case? You know, that got a bit lost in people making money, but AI already changed changed my life, how I work. Um, it is changing the way people think about what they're going to be doing already in the future. People aren't applying to be radiologists anymore because technology is better for humans. And eventually, in our lifetime, hopefully, um, a lot of things are going to be, people are going to prefer to have tasks done by AI agents than humans because they're better and less fallible. It's interesting, isn't it? So that on that curve, because we don't understand exponential curves, it can elicit that fear. It's like the fear of the unknown to a, to a certain yeah, it's degree. Unknown and I, I hear this by uh, from a lot of people, you know, when we're making decisions about our future and we're planning and we're in that logical mode, the best decisions are actually made, apparently, don't know what you think on this, when there's a bit of a blend of fear and excitement. So we've got, we've got some of these kind of doubts giving you some focus, but then you're excited about the future at the same time. How can we promote that level of excitement in AI in the future for people right now because we're in a doubt, hesitation, fear phase. So if you think about um, how you want to make decisions, essentially, you want to make a decision, any decision, it can be, you know, am I going to have a bath <laughs> to your business decision? And what you really want is data, context. Have we got time to have a bath? Is the water hot? And in your business, it can be you know, much more complicated. So what you really want is data and context. And what AI allows you to do Anybody almost, and you know, you're looking at the founder of um, Stability AI's, you know, giving children in Africa an iPad with a, 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 a it doesn't need to be internet connected even a chat GPT. So now anyone in the world can have access to the, the entirety, almost the internet of human intelligence or human information, I suppose, rather than intelligence, with an intelligence um, overlay. Right. So you're seeing um, that world will change very very quickly. I got a, a quote here. This is from one of your business partners. I didn't really ask your question then there. What was it again? So, it, it, Look, we're in a doubt, a hesitation, fear phase. Yeah, fear, uncertainty. So doubt. how can we add some more excitement to it? I yeah, mean, sorry. Yeah, that, so, that, that visibility piece, I think that is excitement. Yeah, and, and what AI allows that kid in Africa or us to do is access data, overlay intelligence, extract insights we never even knew were there. So what that should, if you think about it, enable you to do is make better decisions and faster and faster and um with less risk because the fog you know you've got the known known stuff yeah, yeah, you know yeah. you know the you know unknown stuff you need stuff you know you need to know and the unknown unknowns yeah. so those boundaries as you sort of move out should be sort of um that the fog should clear although i always say that in artificial intelligence it's very hard to understand or even imagine what it's going to look like in two years. There's kind of a fog in two years out, I think, um, in terms of what it's going to look like. But the thing I always say is, is people will say to me, oh, yeah, you know, but it doesn't do this and it doesn't do that. Bias another one. So it removes bias from decision-making, can do. The bias in the model is quite different, but it can remove bias from decision-making. We're yeah. full of bias, yeah. um, as you know, emotional coaching and emotional. So what it's going to do is make us more efficient. And what AI does, think about it, it just makes us... You know, which might not be always be a good thing, but roof, ruthless optimizers. Efficient, decisive, 
But they're, they're, they're two it might not be decisive because then you've still got a human at the end of the trail trying to decide which one. What you can do, though, is say to one AI, you can have two. You say, look, I'm thinking of doing this. I could do it this way. I've got another AI. What if I could do it this way? Now, you two AIs, I'm going to sit back and make a cup of tea and you have a discussion about what's the best way to do it and you watch that and learn. Yeah, well, look, to a degree, success loves speed. It doesn't love procrastination, yeah? So money loves speed. It likes to move around. It's, going, it's constantly moving right now. And... So what you're saying, though, is AI can speed us up. We've still got to make a decision, though, at the end. Well, that's the interesting point, is that at some point, we, so we're, we're trying to hold on to the decision-making moment, but eventually we're going to understand that we're actually, it's better, we're actually better off in most cases letting the AI make a decision. Now, we're going to need an override. You don't really want mm. an AI with making decisions about... Um, you don't really want AI is making decisions about you know cluster bombs, but um, you know, there's a ton of armaments and war. But so I, I've been advising quite a large um, uh, automotive manufacturer over the last year or so. It came to an end, but and it's interesting just thinking about that. Is that you know my daughter's fifteen, maybe in her lifetime, definitely her children. She has children. Is that humans will not be allowed to drive cars in cities. Because we're fallible, we fall asleep, we we drink, we we look at our phones too often. So Do you reckon that will ever become illegal? Yeah, in in, in a built-up environment. Um, why the hell would an insurer yeah. insure a vehicle with a human driving it when it's got a reasonably um, infallible AI that can drive it? They're all networked. You, you don't need to have um, airbags, crumple zones, because they're not going to crash. So think about things like that. Think about if if if, if AI. Seems, this was all in the movies, like. Two decades ago, it's yeah. coming. But if AI, if AGI or specialist AI did one thing in the next decade, one thing, and it solved nuclear fusion, right? That changed the world. All the world's water problems disappear because now you can desalinate water. You can't desalinate seawater because it's too flipping expensive. The cost of energy required to do it. Well, who knows the value of the water? Right, honestly, you might know more about the, that subject than I do, and I get it. Maybe it is too expensive with our current way of thinking, and maybe AI can solve that. Well, if AI solves fusion, you've got free energy, more or less, very close to zero. So once you've got free energy, the whole world, our human experience, utterly changes. So if it did one thing, and it was that, that would change our world in ways we can't even dream of. That's just one. So there are, there are I mean, I'm not an expert in healthcare, but in healthcare, genomics, disease mm. control, um, you know, cures to diseases. You know, you've seen with um, AlphaGo, which is, um, was designed by DeepMind, which is part of Google. They solved this um, ability to um, use AI to solve protein folding. So it means that, you know, dr drug development now has been almost exponentially decreased, well, increased in terms of the speed of which things can be um, yeah. created and, and, and developed by drug companies. And that will continue. And that's just today. And the point I always make is, is AI today and I mean today, not tomorrow, today is the worst it's ever going to be. <laughs> it's quite nice <laughs> when you look at that because it gets you to think really deep, that, doesn't it? You know, there's never, we've never had as much knowledge as, as we've got right now. And it, well, do, you, do, you it? do you use it? A lot, do you use AI? Yeah, well, more than what you know. I mean, by the way, we were talking about the Hoover earlier on. That's a brand. It's not even the, the, the That's machine. That's a robot. Yeah. It's a very basic robot. Yeah, but... The, I think we all use AI a little bit more than we're even aware of right now. But the 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 ones that people are aware of are the chat GBTs. 
So yeah, I've been using that for probably six months and evolving using that. Well, most uh, most people they don't understand really how to use it. So most people will you know you'll sit down and say um, you'll type in I need to write an article about I don't know uh, lollipops right and yeah. it'll, it'll write an article about lollipops but it'll be pretty basic. What you've got to provide is context and data. And now you're supposed to put in a few words in a paragraph. Now you can copy and paste in, just for context, an entire Harry Potter novel. So now you're saying, right, here's my customer data. Here's my tone of voice. Here's my writing style. Here's a huge amount of research. Here's my database of information that's relevant. Take all of that information and data and context. And now write me that article in my tone of voice or Malcolm Gladwell's. And what you'll get back is something very, very different. And that's just like a human going into a meeting. So if I'd, you know, if we go into a meeting, I'd turn up, open the door, go yeah. and sit down, say, who are you? What are you doing? It's a very different meeting to yeah. if I'd spent the entire previous day researching who you are, yeah. what makes you tick, what you like. So now when I have a conversation with you, I'm prompting you and AI is exactly the same. You need the context before you really engage and hit the button on generating that content. Which makes your life better and stronger and faster and all of that kind of thing, yeah? It empowers you to to be more and do more. Massively empowering. And um, again, um, I, wrote, I wrote an article recently and, um, about scaling humans. So we've always talked about scaling technology, scaling yeah. platforms, and now scaling businesses. Now you can scale yourself. You can scale your employees. You can scale up your cognitive ability. Eventually, it'll be your physical abilities in many ways. So that, that, that's a nice concept, by the way. That's human empowerment. And it's leveling up. So in my view, disability, most of them, it's a severe disability, will become a thing of the past, be it cognitive or be it physical. Is that Not only you scaled up, it's going to level people up as well. Which Do we want that in society? Yeah, I'm a massive believer in you know diverse and inclusion, and you know we've never look. I did. Um, we we got Mary Porter along to one of our events, so and and she said something really, really crucial. And I was thinking of it when you were speaking earlier on. You just reminded me again. And yes, we might be in an AI revolution. We might be in a technology revolution, and uh, but she also says we are in. You better be a good person revolution as well. Because if you're not a good person, you'll be found out. Politics are finding it out. And she represented doing the right thing really well. Is that going to happen more in society as technology evolves? Well, so I'm not sure about that because it might not be you interacting. So say, let's imagine in five years, yeah, that there's different kinds of AIs. There's a personal corporate. So... You're gonna need a longer podcast. <laughs> so, so imagine you've got a personal AI, right? Understands everything about you, yeah. everything from your your watch, yep. your health data, got what it. you like, what you read, what you do, everything about you. It's like infused data of you on a day, on a second by second basis yeah. to how you feel. Now you want to buy a barbecue, yeah? Now you should go on the internet, use Google, whatever you use, Bing, search for it, find a load of websites, look at the price comparison, look at the reviews, make a decision. And now you can say, look, I want to get a barbecue. It's going to be easy for this. I need to deliver by this date. This is my price range. This is what I want to buy. I don't mind secondhand if it's this condition. You feed that information in. Well, where do you feed that to, by the into way? A chat, but into AI. It, into so ChatGPT would work right, for that? This will be a different version. This will be a All personal right. AI, whatever that looks like, whoever, it's, whoever creates it. 
And there is one now called Pi that they're trying to do. They just raised about a billion dollars to build an enormous supercomputer right. to do this. But, and it's quite basic now. Um, I keep playing with it. It gets quite annoying. But these will evolve again. So now you've, you've put all the information about the barber you want. And so you don't need websites anymore. That's why SEO, the web, is going to change. Because you're never going to go onto the web and look for all this data. You haven't got time. You're too busy fishing. <laughs> so it's then going to go off and look for this data in a website. Can, a website could now be a, a database of information, pricing, products, delivery times. Yeah. Um, I don't know, your terms and conditions, your warranty, blah, blah, blah. And these AIs go off, read all that information, come back and say, look, I've gone off. I've looked at all these Barbies. And this is the three that I think you should look at. But I think this is the best one to buy. And then you go, okay, well, buy that one, but I don't want to pay that for it. AI goes, no problem. Goes back to the corporate AI and goes, right, I've got you a customer, but he's not willing to pay that. So then the two AI are negotiating. <laughs> and, and, but the AI, the corporate AI knows its boundaries of what it can negotiate in the margin. And they'll, they'll come back and say, all right, okay, yeah, done the deal. We didn't quite get what you want, but this is the best I could get. Do you want it? Yeah, I do. Thanks very much. Buys it. It's delivered. Thanks very much. That's the world we're going to within five years. Within five years. So going back to the Mary Portus, I'm not sure that it'll be you interacting but, with other people. Yeah, but maybe I got the... So, so you, the, might, you the, might not know what's good or bad. Maybe I didn't direct the question in the right way, which is because ethics comes up a lot. Yeah. You know, you, be, you know, when we're talking about AI, you, we want ethical people here. We want the good of the but world. The point, though, is there's going to be a layer between you. So you, you, you could... Present yourself to the world, almost good cop, bad cop, and see who succeeds. So you could go in the world and say, you know, here's peer, here's nice peers, and he 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 interacts with the world in this way, and here's the other peer, he's a bit more aggressive, he's he's a bit annoying, and he he asks a bit too much, but often he gets away with it, and he's out in the world. Which one's the real peers? Well, it's probably a blend of the two, <laughs> <laughs> depending on what day of the week it is <laughs> and how I feel. But you know, you might you might have three different versions of you yeah. out in the world trying to see how you find your way. And so the one that succeeds that might not right? be the perfectly nice one. I'm making this up, but you get the idea that what is good and bad in a, in, in a, in a world of ruthless optimization um, will be quite an interesting thing. We don't know what it's going to look like. If AI goes into the wrong hands, it can lead to bad things. That's what I'm hearing on some of the other discussions that's going on right now. And it, we, look, we live in a competitive world. That's how that's the world as we know it. Everyone wants to succeed. You know, is there a risk that it does go into the wrong hands? Is it, there a it, risk it of is. being that bad cop? It already is. I mean, the, the the danger of any technology, the danger of the internet, the danger of um, personalization. We saw this a lot in uh, Web three as well. Is that bad actors can use this technology to you know gain advantage now? I was doing a, a talk a while ago, and somebody who was, it was for a large security company, one of the top five in the world, it was kind of a keynote. And I was trying to be clever, talking to senior management, saying, well, you know, in the future, obviously, a lot of these, all of these uh, malware, a lot of the malware will be designed by AIs. And they all looked at each other, looked at me and said, it's worse than that. The malware will be an AI. So imagine now you've got this yeah. this. I've thing got it. I've got exactly what you're saying there. Running around your computer, your watch, your phone, yeah. Knowing what it's trying to find, trying to extract and send it back to So there is going to, there's going to be an enormous arms race between us but and the bad actors. There's got to be a constant promotion of doing the right thing as well, though. Yeah, I, I, I don't think we've ever been at a better stage on equality. Well, I'm not sure about that either. Why? 
So I advise. I'm seeing uh, evidence that we are, and you're well, seeing evidence with it. Well, I advise not. lots. Well, I advise Sky, for example. I'm on the yeah. Diversity and Inclusion Board, and so I see a lot of a lot of data. I was on the board of um, the Government Bank, British Business Bank. So I see a lot of data about companies, and you know, diversity and inclusion, social mobility, you know, fairness, equality. Um, overall, has kind of moved in the right direction, but it hasn't moved far enough in any way. Let me give you an example. So in the last decade, we found that. One black woman had raised a one Series A round of, of finance from a VC over, I think, a million in the UK, which is insane. So, and then, and what, what was it the decade before? Lower, probably zero. Right. But, but what the point is, is that the, although it's moved, so in difficult economic times like now, you tend to see equality and diversity and inclusion and social mobility actually go backwards. So the world, so my view is the top of society should look like the bottom, essentially. It should match. Um, but it doesn't. And, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you're in business, you're, you're a coach, whatever it is, is ambition is evenly distributed. Access to opportunity, capital, networks, support isn't. And that has got a long, long way to go. Yeah, I mean, that's what, like, you look at, uh, on a micro level, you look at a really successful business and you, you do an analysis and they've got, they match some values. You've got, you know, values in the business. We've all heard of core values, etc. But it goes from top all the way at bottom and bottom all the way to top. I mean, that's the the best sports teams in the world. They've got the same kind of values and principles that they all buy into. Maybe society needs that. It does. And, and well, the issue about values is, is it's like diversity and inclusion. So diversity often can be your values. It's being asked to the party. It's being employed, for example, by a company because they've got the right values. They're on the wall in reception. Yeah, Inclusion is being asked to dance. So inclusion is where you're at the party and you're engaged. You, yeah. you feel it, you feel you feel a, that you belong there. You feel part of it and you want to stay there. Quite often, people who are find themselves in businesses from, say, you know, diverse backgrounds, whatever that be, in all of its forms, they don't survive in these organisations because they never feel as though they belong there. But that's on the increase as well. So I get it. You know, autocratism and all of this is is almost out, almost out, apart from some politics at the top, which we're definitely not talking about, and so, some figureheads in some big businesses that are, that you see on the posters that have come through the era of the boss is the king culture now. And we don't have that. It's, um, you know, le there's so many books on leadership and inclusivity is a huge part of that moving forward. I think to a degree, social media has has positive done something positive by naming and shaming people in football for example if someone's racist in a football match the media just have jumped all over it and then what, what technology is going to do though is replace a lot of that most issues is, is, is human bias both um conscious bias and yeah. unconscious bias some don't believe in unconscious it's bias is bias true there's a lot but, of like but we've got bias yeah. everything we do you know in terms of Humans like people that look like them, believe in the same gods, in the same sexuality, you know, all the usual, all the very long list. We just, we just like people that are more like us. We feel more comfortable with them. Yeah. And so in your, in your business, um, with technology, what you're able to do is remove bias. And the more that we displace human labor with technology, you, the more you have the ability to um, eliminate bias from organization and decision we are going to cover that topic and i've got something i'm going to read out actually in a bit regarding that i want us to reverse a second and it, it was something that you we talking about decision making maybe five ten minutes ago 
So I've heard of level one decision-making, level two type of decision-making. Level one is when you ask someone, in the, in the case now it might be asking AI, to go off and find you some information, but level one decision, before you action it, bring it to me so we can make the decision. And level two is you ask someone to go and do it. In this case, we might be asking AI, go and have a look, then go and implement it, and then bring me the results. So you understand the difference. And that comes from delegation. That's classic delegation. That's often also used to explain why an AGI might be different to an AI. So a specialist compared to a generalist. So in, in artificial intelligence as well, almost today we're at the point where we'll ask it to go and bring back um, a range of answers and then we'll make a decision. But eventually, as you just said, absolutely right, I don't know if it's level one, two or three even, is you will just... So right now we're used to this sort of world of almost command prompts, like the graphical oh. user interface. You know, you move your mouse around or your trackboard, you click on stuff and you get answers and you make decisions. Then you drill down and go down a rabbit hole until eventually you narrow down to the answer you want. Yeah. And you make the... And it could be a sales funnel. You yeah, make yeah. a purchase or you read the right article. In the future, um, it's going to be quite different. So that interface will disappear. So the, the, the keyboard, yeah, to my daughter, definitely her children, will be like, I mean, if people listen to this and watching this, might not even remember them, but the old dialer phones. Yeah. You know, they'll be like, you used to do what? So you're probably still going to need a keyboard of some sort because you can, everyone can't be talking into a, a, a technology on a, on a train or a plane or whatever. But... The, what these large language models that ChatGPT are based on have enabled us to do now is communicate in a multimodal way with technology. So it can be text-to-speech, text-to-video, they can listen, they can see, they'll be able to smell quite soon, and they can definitely hear. So you have all the senses the human has, you'll have in this technology as well. And again, so that's going to change the way in which we interact with te- technology and the way it interacts with us. So you move away from this clicking stuff, graphical user interface, to a natural language conversation and the model becomes intent objective so you say i need this can you make it happen and it goes off does it eventually just does it and you all all you get is the outcome you're not asking it. you're not going you're not clicking the stuff in that kind of complicated process you go through trying to find something on the internet it's all intent based and it's all natural language based so imagine now if you're um most companies use software. You go and buy yeah. it on the internet and you pay 20 quid a month, whatever it is. You've got, so you, you've got like 100 subscriptions. Yeah, I mean, I've, 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 <laughs> I've, I've, I and always forget. I always forget to can them. So I get the bill every month. I'm like, what the hell is that? It's some weird thing I've been playing with and yeah. I forgot to turn yeah. it off. But essentially, humans have said, right, I've, I've got a need, an objective. You then go to a software development company or whoever that might be or a SaaS company done it yeah. for you and say, right, I want some software that kind of does this and you get an outcome. So in the world we're com- we're, that's dawning upon us is that we'll just talk technology and say, look, I need this, this is my intent, this is objective. It will then write the code on the fly, instantaneously almost, and deliver that objective. And that's going to change. So software becomes a bit like, how does a microwave work? Most people don't know. What they do know is you put a potato in, you press a button, it, get, it, it, it it's warmer and it tastes better. Rather than, And that's what software is going to become. It'll become a layer of technology that you no longer see or interact with. So, like the microwave, for example, it's a good. Ex- this is this is a good analogy here. It does something that you don't know how it does it. It just makes your life easier, and you let it do it. No one's scared of a microwave. Um, 
15 years ago, I don't remember it's 15 years ago, it might be longer, it might be slightly less. You remember this social media as we now know it? There was a lot of fear actually at that stage. Oh, I'm a bit old, I don't know how to use this type thing. Now, even though I say this a few times, people aren't scared of social media. Someone says, I'm scared of so a bit of fun, but generally it's not a scary thing. You're definitely not scared about AI. That is. Well, it's scared about it if some bad actor manages to you know, penetrate the Bank of England and you know, destroys an economy. So that worries me. But overall, I think. You've got not, confidence. You, you exude confidence. Well, in it. it doesn't matter. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. There's so much money chasing this now uh, in terms of, because in most technologies, if you look at the history of any technology, any sort of innovation curve, like especially digital related, digital technology, um, you've got the early adopters, people like me, you can't help yourself, you love it, you're in there, you're playing with it. And then the other extreme, you've got the laggards, the companies, the people that take decades to adopt it because they're concerned yeah. and they've, they're so invested in the old way of doing it. Yeah. It takes almost a, a regime change in organisation to adopt a new technology yeah. over, over a sort of a, a working life. In AI, it's different. The big companies are running at this really hard. Not just the tech companies, the, the big enterprises, because they know, they understand there's an existential risk to what they do and how they do it. And they've moved fast, a lot of them. That's what I mean. Uh, but usually it's the small companies and the early adopters. In AI, it's been the other way around. And that's very interesting. It has, but, you know, in some ways, I feel compelled right now to any listeners for this, I encourage them to openly embrace whatever they need to start embracing in. Well, so I always say that AI will not take your job. AI will not outcompete, destroy your business. Can I, somebody can I using somebody using AI or somebody using their business will. Interesting that point actually, isn't it? So if you don't use it, someone else will and it'll take your business. Somebody will use AI to scale themselves up or optimize their business and become super competitive, superhuman almost. So if you're not on that ship as it leaves the harbor, you will remain on the quayside forever. But and and by the way, and this is complete bias based on my own emotional assessment because I think that anybody who's positively embracing it and using it in a small part right now is ahead of is ahead of most of us yeah and it's surprising how many so you see you see lots of um stats about who's used um actually use chat gpt or Bar, google yeah. bard as an example and it's quite reasonably large number but they've yeah. probably used it once because they heard about it on the news yeah people are actively learning how to integrate this into their day-to-day -day life, their job, their career, <clears throat> their business. There aren't that many of them. Could it become a habit? You know, like habit things that people do and they're trying to develop a new I start everything now with artificial intelligence. If I'm thinking about something, I'm brainstorming something, I'm concerned about something, I just, that's where I start. Because I, it, it's beautiful as well because it, it gets you moving, doesn't it? It, it gets the creative juices you'll never, flowing. Humans are never, you know, the, the concept of um, writer's block, yeah. it, it's gone. It's gone. Which is so nice. Remember all them years, the writers that are listening to this right now, all them years, oh, writer's block. Yeah, it's gone. But imagine that everybody is reasonably good at using artificial intelligence. So now your competitive advantage, be it personally or in business, has disappeared. It's evaporated. So what you have to do, and this is where this is where it's going to get tiring, is that you as an individual or as an organ business, you've got to keep, I call it this value pyramid. And it's been, and so it used to be all humans. You 
your spear and your dog and a fire. And now you moved up, you've got chat GPT. So that, that triangle, oh, that's not quite a triangle, it's a funny shape. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's been filled with technology. So we humans have got to keep running up to the top, but that triangle at the top is getting smaller and smaller. So you have got to use the technology to differentiate. So you've got to be will better it, at using it. Will it. It'll never close though. Um, no, so they're, 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 all, they're always going to be humans somewhere making decisions. Can I read something? I don't, know, I don't know how many. Can I read something? This is, and I, I've got to read this out of respect, and, uh, and just a word of warning, this might take me two minutes to read this out because this is about empowerment to human beings. Uh, there's an article here on why AI will save the world. And it's by a gentleman named Mark Anderson. Andresen. Andresen. Mark Andresen was one of the founders of the internet. He, he was a guy that basically founded Netscape. Right. And he's one of the partners in Andresen Horowitz, which is one of the most successful West Coast VCs. Uh, look, I think this passage really can give people confidence. So the common mistake, the automation kills job doomers. So if you're thinking, oh, I'm doomed. Uh, keep making is called the lump of labor fallacy. The, this fallacy is the incorrect notion that there is a fixed amount of labor to be done in the economy at any given time. And even machines do it or people do it. And if machines do it, that means there's going to be no work for me to do. Now, the lump of lab, labor fallacy follows naturally from naive intuition. But naive intuition here is wrong. When technology is applied to production we get productive growth, an increase in output that's generated by a reduction in input. The result is lower prices for goods and services. As prices for goods and services fall, we pay less for them, meaning that we've now got extra spending power with which to buy other things. This increases demands in the economy, which drives the creation of new production, including new products and new industries, which creates new jobs for the people who were replaced by machines in prior jobs. The result is larger economy with high material prosperity, more industries, more products, and more jobs. We're getting there. But the good news doesn't stop there. We also get higher wages, which everybody wants to know. Yeah, This is because at the level of, in, of the individual worker, the marketplace sets compensation as a function of the marginal productivity of the worker. A worker in a technology-infused business, by the way, that is a good phrase, isn't it? A technology-infused. I call it AI-assisted. Uh, an an AI-assisted business where it's, yep, where it's going in. Super efficient. Yeah. Let me go back to that. A worker in a technology-infused business or an AI-assisted business will be more productive than a worker in a traditional business. So this can make you more productive. The employee will either pay that worker more money as he or she is now more productive or another employer will pay you more money purely out of self-interest. The result is that technology introduced into an industry generally not only increases the number of jobs in the industry, but also raises wages. To summarize, technology empowers people to be more productive. This causes prices for existing goods and services to fall and wages to rise. This this in turn causes economic growth for job growth while motivating the creation of new jobs and new industries. What do you reckon? Yeah, I don't I don't want to get into argument with Mark Andreessen because he's obviously yeah, right. very bright, but I don't quite agree with all of that. Which bits? I, I think his economics has uh, failed him. So, so essentially in the previous industrial revolutions, 
that increase in productivity has been a positive because and it's kind of almost as he is kind of saying it becomes cyclical so you got more productivity so you create more wealth there's more product people got more money so they buy more stuff and it's a flywheel basically and economies grow you got two things so one is is that global population is falling number one so some some populations are going to collapse like japan's a good example right you got other regions like africa where there are very young populations that are growing um so the global population is falling so you've only got You've only got so much demand, essentially. There are only so many things you can eat, buy, drive, mm -hmm. live in. Um, and if you think about the cost of energy eventually goes to zero. That's a huge driver of um, change and commerce. If you think about the, the cost of content goes to zero, because it is doing rapidly. If you then think about the, the ability to, you know, the human cognitive labor kind of goes to zero because it can be done by machines. So the factories of the future are not big, horrible brick buildings with steam engines churning away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're data centers. They are. They're, they're, it's the NVIDIA-driven, GPU-driven data center. I heard that they're going to put one of the safer. They they're, they're the factories of the future. Yeah. It's cognitive output. And then eventually, this technology derives, designs, Robotics, so AIs now that are walking around or moving around your floor, hoovering, but a bit more efficiently yeah. than the ones we've got today. Um, the ability to generate goods and services at a massively reduced cost far outstrips the demand for them. So I agree with him, therefore prices collapse. Yeah. But the number of humans you're going to need to do this, inevitably, unlike the other industrial revolutions, begins to fall away. There's no doubt about it. So I think he's trying to, which is a good thing, he's trying to push the, the sort of a, the, this potential era of abundance and the optimal human, which is fantastic. But if we're all super efficient, super productive, simple mathematics, yeah. you don't need that. You don't need as many of us working at least. So the big question for society then and governments is, and we're already looking at this, is well, what the hell do we do all day? And how do you how do you tax that economy where you've got these massive um, organizations that can produce almost anything on the fly. Yeah. They're producing goods and services we don't even know that we know. You might find that the human, I'm going off on a tangent here, you might find that population stabilized or begins to grow because we solve lots of the health problems in the world and we, we cure lots of diseases, yeah. people aren't dying. We may find that people stop dying completely. <laughs> and that's a big one. And they're not, that, that's, it's easy to kind of laugh by that one, but actually we're not far away from solving what makes us age and turn it off so suddenly we all live forever that gets complicated and then maybe his model is very important then but in a world where humans don't live more than 100 years and populations are declining i'm not sure his math stacks up what well what how does it stack up forget his maths so again, well, well, I, I, right so i'm thinking myself for the future where should i upskill right now so Where right now, we're myself? sitting here having a conversation, right? Yeah. And um, but you know, we could be at home and our eyes are doing it. Sounds like us, even looks like us. Yeah. If it's audio, it definitely sounds like us. You bring your AI in next time. I'll bring mine, <laughs> yeah. and we'll have a four-way. We'll, we'll just go and have lunch. <laughs> but that that is potentially where we end up. So the 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 AI is going to change for the positive, the lot of the human for sure, right? The only thing that people haven't quite grasped with, and we don't know, I, I could be wrong, I could be completely wrong, the mark could be right, that we're all just gonna have more and more stuff. But how much stuff do you actually need? And what's becoming, what's important now is stuff, because we're, but it might become eventually that it becomes more important actually, because we don't need to work as hard, is experience. 
So it might be that you have a, a very different economy that's based on experience rather than just producing fridges and freezers and flipping shiny cars um, and, you know, and trying to sell stuff you don't really need. Because the AI will ruthlessly optimise and say, you don't really need that. You know, when you're in the airport and you're, you said, right, I need to save this much per month. This is my plan. Um, I've got my universal basic income. I've got this little business. I mean, what it does do potentially is empower us all to become entrepreneurs. Um, what we do, what we produce, is, we don't know yet. So again, there's a fog two years out in terms of what the technology is and, how, and therefore how it's going to impact us. So there's a fog two years out, but we've got to go, we've got to, go to that point. But beyond that, it becomes very, very hard to understand... So let's just say that we wake up in three years and there's an AGI, right? This is the, an intelligence which can do almost anything better than a human or even, even an, an ASI, a super intelligence, where it does things that we don't even understand how it does it. Um, then what? Uh, how do you even look one year out after that? Because one year out then, an, an exponential growth pattern becomes, even six months, impossible to begin to understand or, or or think about or 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 model and plan and what what the linear world does for humans which is why we like it it lets us plan because we know that broadly speaking next year is going to be quite similar to this year apart from the weather interest rates you know yeah. kind of like there might be a war but generally speaking we've seen it all before when it's exponential we have absolutely no clue and i think that's what makes humans nervous or it will do because we haven't quite experienced it yet. So, but what do we do in the short term? So next year is going to be a little bit similar to this year, a little bit more advanced. But what do we do right now? So now, so again, the analogy I, I like to use, um, I've got a company, does the AI, my business partner, he likes a bullet train analogy. I like the ship in the harbour. So you imagine you're on, we're all on the quayside. There's the, the ship of opportunity and it's leaving the harbour. And that's what everyone on there is using artificial intelligence. You can make that leap from the quayside to the... To you can make that leap from the quayside to the boat. Um, I think that's a certain distance out. Then it becomes very, very hard. And then eventually it becomes impossible to make the leap. And that boat's accelerating, accelerating away um, at a, an ever-accelerating speed. It becomes exponential. And the point with AI is, this is why nation-states are obsessed with it, is that, you know, I think Mark Andreessen, in his article, I think, I read it as well, says that we need to solve AGI before China does. Yeah, it does, yeah. yeah. So if we don't, you know, that becomes an enormous competitive political military advantage. So that is what nation states are obsessed with. Because if you solve it on Monday and then somebody else solves it on Wednesday, you never catch up because the rate of change is so great that that gap actually becomes greater over time. So if you don't, going back to answer your question, if you don't make that leap onto that boat, once that gap is too far for you to make the leap, you are staying on that quayside Forever. And that's not just you personally. That can be yeah. entire society. You can't, you can't, there's not 10 year lag with this one. You can't be the, the you can't wait for so 10 you've years. You've got to, to start playing with it now to understand how you leverage it, use it, utilize it to scale yourself up. And for the Western world uh, uh, to get this before China. Or bad actors as well. Or bad, uh, yeah. you, you call them bad actors, in the, the people in the wrong hands, yeah. yeah. The thing, the thing about AI is, 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 is the other thing is quite hard to understand is this, right? So let's just say that I'm, I'm Einstein, right? So I, which I'm definitely not. <laughs> but I, I've got this amazing brain. I've all these things into them. And I've wrote all these papers. You come along. You have to read them all, understand them all, assimilate them all, test them, have a hypothesis, 
test it over many, many, many years. And by the end of your lifetime, maybe you stood on the shoulders of that giant as well and, and added some value. Say a lot of AIs, it's not going to be one big, you know, Skynet AI in the sky, really. There are going to be lots of them, personal mm. ones, corporate ones, governmental ones. But once, say you've got a room full of 200 AIs all sitting there, and my AI, I suddenly solve something. Is there actually going to be a physical inter entity? Of Embodiment's a whole different thing, but no, I don't think you need. But You don't need AIs But when you around. say 200 AIs, do we mean like 200 computers? I'm just talking, <laughs> I'm, I'm, it, could be a, it could be an Android, a bot, yeah. or it could be a yeah. laptop. I think, whatever. There's 200 AIs connected, let's call it that. That yeah. makes it easy to understand. Now, I'm in that, I'm in that network. Now suddenly I have a I solve something that I've been breathing away on overnight and it's it's it changes the world. The instant the instant that I solve that problem, every other AI it's got it. understands it. Yeah, yeah. And goes, oh okay. And starts breathing away on that. And that's where I get exponential change. Yes, it's cool. It does make a good point about that whole thing. I mean, I like one of my takeaways from you is start getting experience in it. Just start getting experience in it. Two years from now is the fog. We don't know what's going to happen. Maybe we should do a podcast every quarter and update people the next quarter. Because there's no there's no downside to learning about this because it will change everything you do. It will change your view in the world. It will help you access more information and more intelligence. And who cannot benefit from that? It's true. I mean, look, it's irrefutable. You can't contest that. So go and get the experience. This is the point that, that Mark kind of summarises. Start driving AI into our economy and maximize the gains for economic productivity and human potential. He uses that word human potential really well in that article. And the more everyone does that in our economy here in the UK, let's just talk about here in the UK, the faster we're going to grow. Everyone's well, accessing it. It's also so I was a trustee of um, Nesta, which is one of the UK's largest um Innovation Foundation Agency. It's got 600 million foundation, national lottery of money for six years. So this is why I got into AI because five years ago now, we did quite a lot of research on the impact of artificial intelligence. This is way before chat, anything like ChatGPT. It was all kind of clunky machine learning research. But it was the impact of artificial intelligence on, on the UK. So we looked at, for example, and I might not get this exactly right, but say the Northeast, yeah. Um, lots of call centers like Loughborough. Now, you know, you're not going to need humans in call centers in five years. Absolutely not. You might need one or two to escalate problems, things that are yeah. blown up. But in terms of people, someone answering the phone, accessing data, listening to the customer and solving problems, absolutely not gone. So you might have a whole region of a country where the core skill that's used to, 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 for employment disappears overnight. So what do you do? You've got to reskill an entire population. Well, it happened, didn't to it? Do in coal. It, it happened with in in the industrial revolution with coal mining. And... But the issue there is that there was something else for people to go and do. I mean, the agrarian revolution is a good example. So, well, industrial revolution, people moved from the fields into cities yeah. because people became wealthier. They had more. They wanted to buy more stuff. So you had this flywheel. I think it's different when. An entire region, not over the course of 50 or 100 years, yeah. over the course of potentially a week, because some new technology has been... You know, so let's just say that, let's just say on uh, next Monday, 
It's where, a, where, where, by, where, by the way, that's actually a good example. I don't believe it'll be a week, but it's no, a good example because it, it's, it's extreme thinking. Well, now. I lost about a week about it might take longer to implement and deploy it. Let's say next, let's just say on Monday that some company, OpenAI or somebody, uh, Google says we have now launching a absolutely perfect. Um, chatbot for customer service. Understand all your company data far better than a human. It sounds like a human. You can program with any completely realistic voice with any accent that you cannot differentiate from a real human. Uh, and and it will. It's much better at problem solving, listening to customers. It doesn't get moody. Doesn't turn up late. We have launched this product. Every company with a call center is going to spend the next two years implementing that product. So I'm not talking about the moment of implementation so up to the moment of launch so you might see yeah, that week it. that there is now a clear path to an entire region's reason for employment to disappear but even even there's still a clear path they still don't know what's beyond two years anyway yeah that, exactly <laughs> so so the point there is is that is, is is that um you know we you you have to start thinking about um yourself in a way you know so i've got i've got um teenage children um two teenagers one just about to become a teenager in school and my my eldest called tiger she's like a mini me she's an entrepreneur her favorite was business right yeah. and and <laughs> she's saying to me well i can use artificial intelligence can't i to do all of this stuff and i'm kind of like yeah so you know you've got to get your exams do the, do what you got to do you know do your best but spend more time learning about using this technology because you will never, our children, or any of us, but especially our children, will never not have this technology in their life. And the technology they're using today, we all think is amazing. They are going to have technology by the time they are working or starting businesses that is orders of magnitude better. My stepson was learning to code. He was doing a Java front end, a bit of Python. And he did this course for like almost a year, 18 months. And it came to the end of the sort of, it was like a module. And I said, right, we need to get you on the next module. And he's like, no point. I, I use chat GPT. <laughs> uh, it, it wrote, it wrote I, had a, I was supposed to do a project and write a game and I tried it and it did it and it works. And I'm kind of like thinking, I really want to say to him, you know, well, you know, it's really important. You become the architect, not the bricklayer, yeah. blah, 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 blah. But I know coding, I think I said it earlier, the need to code will disappear, just like you need to know how a microwave works. True. Now, I, I mean, I'm not going to ask a question on that, but he does get the... He's, he's mind-boggling on how things are going to change like that in that area for education. Now, but I do want to talk about the small business. I mean, what kind of things does a small business owner need to be doing right now to help push the business forward? So... This is about scaling yourself up on your business. So there's an enormous opportunity to superpower you and your business and to create a meaningful, there's always the sustainable competitive advantages in economics, but I really mean it. You know, you can, you can create a real competitive advantage. So you've got outwards looking use of technology. So sales, customer, hyper-personalized your customer experience. Before it was kind of like, okay, so... Uh, Piers is a male that lives in London of this age group that likes bikes. I'll send in some relevant information. In, in the hyper-personalization world, I can send you a video of me talking to you, using your name and talking about your favorite subject. An actual video, not quite there yet, but it will probably a year away. And so you can have a hyper-personalized 
engagement potential. Uh, and then you've got you know sales automation, CRM, content is a huge one. So you don't just churn out content because everyone's doing it using AI. You know, use that context and data to make it differentiated. And then you've got the internal looking um, benefits, which are optimizing your operations, reducing your margins, you know, into the potentially reducing the number of people you need, but definitely reducing the number of people you're going to need to grow. So if your revenue is growing and your costs aren't, what is growing? Your margin, your profit, the value of your business. Because now, if your company's worth 10 times its profit, say, average sort of a multiple, and increase your profits by 10%, and you're doing a million quid, you, you've just created a million pounds of value. So use this technology and understand it to optimize and improve your relationship with customers, optimize, optimize your operations, but use it in a way which is agile, lightweight, and flexible, because the technology you're going to implement today will look very different in a year's time. And what that means is, is that you can now do things that your competition who are not doing this can do. And, you know, there's another interesting um, YouTube video by called Andrew, I guess now you pronounce his name, it's NG, is it Ng? Um, mm. Ng. So he, he's a, a VC, he's focused on AI. And it's about the long tail. And the long tail is that it's been quite hard for big companies especially, and even small companies, to go after all those little customers that are just, they're hard to manage, they're hard to support, they ask too many questions, you know. <laughs> so, whereas now, with AI, because you can automate all of that, you can go after the long tail. So I think what you're going to see in business is this battle for the middle. So large enterprises can now come down. It now will become because they're more efficient, more productive, they're automated, it will become more economically viable for them to manage and chase and close smaller customers, which was never their world before. Smaller companies can also now go after the long tail of even smaller customers, or because they're, because they're super powered now, they can go after slightly bigger customers. So what you get, so you know, GE is never going to open a local fish and chip shop and yep. vice versa. Um, local fish and shop not going to start making jet engines yeah. um, with global distribution, right? However, the middle bit, you can now both start to go after. I like that, the battle for the middle. Yeah, it's going it, to be huge. Yeah, I mean, there's a podcast in that in itself, isn't there? It's really powerful what you said there. Let me just repeat a couple of things. What you should focus on in the short term. Well, focus on optimizing your relationship with your customers. Focus on optimizing your operations. Operations. Focus on optimizing your margins. And, and and trying to grow and do more with what you've got or ideally less. Yeah. Um and that will try and, and That's and it, a leverage mentality, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally. And like in any technology, you might think everyone's doing it, but they're not. They're not. All they're doing it and it's half baked. They're sitting there saying, Hi chat GPT, can you write me an article about um flower arrangings? I've got to put them on my website. And it's rubbish. If you've provided context, information about what flowers, your local customers, what they're interested in, you've used it to um, extract data about your customers, to hyper-personalize their message, to send it to them, a picture, a video. You're a wealth manager. I know you like golf. I've now sent you a picture of you know, your, your wealth plan. On the front of it is a big picture of you, you in a picture playing golf. Slightly aged even, it's maybe. Cool. And you can do all of this. Yeah, play around with it. Get some experience in that. I love what you said there. You might think everyone else is doing it. They're not. They're not. But you are. You're doing it. So do that. Follow it. You know, take the advice from Piers himself. I've got some quick questions for you to finish up on here. Um, what's your favorite book? Oh, that's a good question, actually. 
So I've, I've read, I, don't, I don't really read a lot of these sort of self-help books. I don't, mm. I've read a few in the past, kind of moved beyond it really. Um, the one I, the one I, interesting enough, you mentioned Mark Andreessen. Yeah. So his business partner is a chap called Ben Horowitz. So Andreessen Horowitz is the name of their fund, right. very, very famous venture capital fund on the West Coast. And he wrote a book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. The and Hard it, Thing About Hard yeah, Things. And I've always, I like that book because it, it, it's kind of his journey. But what it does though, it, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the stuff you see on the internet, I, I made a course for startups, which we can maybe share free yeah. of charge if you want to. And it's about, because I saw on the internet, everything was about ask the universe, straight line growth, 10x. <laughs> That's just not the way the world works. It's a grind and it's hard and you have to get back up after being knocked down. And Ben Horowitz writes this book about his journey and about how he was, how he was knocked down, how he got back up, the things that worked, the things that didn't work. And it's quite an honest book. And so that's one of the best business books. And then you got like, you know, the sort of lean startup and we're reading all the kind of usual things. Stick to that but one. that was the best business book that I've read for a, a long time. Yeah. Uh, you get you working hard. Blue, Blue Ocean Strategy. That's a good yeah, book. Yeah, really so good book. That's a great book. Really good, really good point. Like anything that gets back to reality where it's hard work, dedication, commitment, sacrifice, you go for it, there's a grind involved. There's a way of writing that gets you motivated to do that. So it sounds like I should have a read of that book. Good share. What's your favorite movie? Interstellar. Oh. Yeah. Because it's, it's very hard, very hard to pick a favorite movie because of different genres, different Go on then, types. you can have a few. You can be greedy. Um, Interstellar is the one where I can watch that film over Is that Matt Damon? And over who's, it? Again. who's in that? No, it's um, I can't blank that. It's not George Clooney. I'm oh, thinking, I'm thinking no, 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 Martian or something there. Interstellar. Uh, Mike Wahlberg. No, no. What's he called? The guy that's sort of that sort of um, southern drawl. His mind's gone blank. Yeah. Well, you'll know. You'll be getting it. You'll be picking but it, it up. Interstellar's there. about it's that blend of um, um. Tech, I find his name. It's gone blank. So it's it's Inter Interstellar's about. Technology, the future, um, intelligence. Well, look, it goes, who, who, it goes with are, the theme of this conversation. Right. What about your favourite music? I'm more of a dance music aficionado, really. But um, a bit of a dancer. I, I, I used to be. I was. <laughs> I used to be. I used to be in that business for a while. But again, I mean, one of my favourite soundtracks is the, the the Hans Zimmer soundtrack to Interstellar, which essentially is classical music with organs. So I can listen to that all day long. So, you know, I might like my sort of, you know, happy house, your, your disco house. You know, I've been to Ibiza for every year for gone as how many years. But, you know, my dad was quite classical. Right. So, you know, quite recently I was in Verona listening, you know, to Carmen the Opera. Yeah. And, I, and I, I enjoy any genre of music, really. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Well, it's got to be to fly, isn't it? Well, fly or read people's minds. Ooh. I don't know. You've got a superpower now, it's got AI. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's quite... I was thinking that as soon as I asked the question, there's some kind of AI answer in that somewhere. Read people's minds. Maybe there's some AI in that. What about your favourite holiday destination? Well, for many years, it's been kind of a beef in many ways, but uh, I am, I'm half Bayesian. So... Um, you Bob, have what? I'm Bayesian, Barbados. My mum's from right. Barbados. So that's so what it's called, Bayesian. I Bayesian, didn't even know or, or Barbadian, become Bayesians. But um, so Barbados has a particular, um, it's somewhere that I, I kind of love to go to. But the people like, you know, a lot of people I know have got houses in certain countries, but I don't quite get that because I'd get bored of going to the same place. Yeah, my wife does. She's like, oh, we're going somewhere different. I was like, oh, I could come to this place again. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> but there you go. Uh, are you an early bird or night owl? Um, I'm a night owl, 
But if I want to go and get any kind of exercise, I need to get up early. Um, so if I'm in, it takes sometimes I drop out of it and I get back into it. I'm kind of getting back into it now. So I need to get, I need to be in the gym by like seven or it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and ride bikes. But the issue with me is, is that once I start sort of working and I'm focused on something, you know, and it's not always a good thing because you've got work-life balance. But I can, I can be there at four in the morning. Happened actually happened this week. Uh, you were in the gym at four in the morning. The other way around. Happened this week where I had to be somewhere at like <sighs> what six, seven in the morning, and I was still awake at five thirty. You know, just thinking, writing, thinking, <laughs> good sleep, and um, and eventually I got some sleep and I felt fine the next day. But sometimes my brain just kicks in and it's hard to turn it off. Yeah, a lot, I ask everybody that question, and a lot, there's a there's a myth that. To think that super successful people are all early birds. It's it's not no, true. Actually, I don't, it's not true. I wake up in the morning. I get up at six. I have an ice bath. I do <laughs> I do a marathon, and then um, I, I do some meditation. You hear that? There's a lot of younger fun. generation actually say that. No, they don't. It's just they're just like they, they, I just don't believe. No, they it. say that. Yeah, they, uh, totally. There's people say that because you don't need an ice bath to be successful. <laughs> yeah. Right. So if you could have one day in someone else's life, who would you choose? One day, Past or present. somebody else's life. I would love to have experienced like my dad's life when he was um, that's passed away now. But if he was in, when he was at Cambridge back in the day, because he's a working class life in Manchester that got to Cambridge. Or he always talked about you know being in Manchester during the Blitz, just some of his experiences because it's very hard to understand now they've gone. You always want to talk about them more, so to understand the experiences he had that made him, which kind of made me really. Yeah, really emotional point, you know. It's not some life. celeb or yeah. religious icon. It's, you know, before you said that, I'm glad you said that your dad, by the way. I just wondered if you would say an AI. No, because you can access those now. I mean, AIs are AIs are not. There's this this, this misconception that they're they're this separate entity. They're not. It's like your toaster, right? It's a technological tool that you can now use to empower yourself and, and scale yourself up. Even when you have artificial general intelligence, an intelligence that can do almost anything, it's yeah. multimodal, you don't have to be a specialized one. Even artificial super intelligence that's designing and doing things that are way beyond our comprehension, you know, it, it, it comes up with new theories in physics and chemistry that we're like, whoa, that change human, change mankind's perception of the, the world and the universe around them. Even then, it's not, it's not, it doesn't have to be sentient, it's not conscious. It's technology. It's a toaster. <laughs> it's one way of looking at it, isn't it? Gives a nice perspective. So, look, you're super successful, Piers. Who have been the three biggest trusted advisors in your life? So, I, I get asked this a lot, and I've never really had um, like mentors throughout my life. I've had to go and, which is not ideal, to be honest with you, I had to go and find out <clears throat> what it is I wanted to do and what I wanted to do next myself. So, I, I, Grew up not too, not too far from where you did. Up in I was in I was on the wrong side of the border, depending what side of the border. Yeah, yeah. I was Lancashire, Yorkshire. Yorkshire, Lancashire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was I didn't know what a lawyer was really until I got to university and I found law interesting. I did A level. I didn't know what a lawyer did. I didn't know the difference between a, a solicitor and a barrister until I got to university. And then I, I got into fine. I I went from you know from um, Milltown Comprehensive School, um, which you know what those look like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to being a lawyer in the city, yeah. which is nuts. To being a banker at Credit Suisse when it was solvent, which is even more nuts because that was like the, the that was like the ultimate job in those days, professional job, earning more money. I bought my first sports car, and a debit card sort of thing, 
And I was giving my, sending my mum and dad like parts of my bonus. And they were like, sorry, what? I thought I'd robbed a bank. <laughs> so, so I went through all of, all of that and ended up sort of, you know, um, working in places that I, I never thought I would. I've got any question now. What was your question again? Three biggest yeah. trusted advisors. Yeah, I've got the tangents. So through all of that, my role models, mentors, really, probably my parents initially. And then they were people that I worked with. So my boss, it might be the chap that trained yeah. me as a lawyer. I learned a lot from professionally. But What also did you get from? What did you get from? Just that? some how to be a lawyer, but also just how to be that professional, that ability to mm. work at that level. And especially in banking. So a lot of the people I work with in banking, even the more senior people are still friends to this day. Uh, because the the work ethic I've, I've never experienced it ever since and those days being a banker was you were the master of the universe now you're the person that does the numbers it was different then yeah. this was like this is like 1990s late 90s this is when you were the dot-com boom was at its absolute height and i was lucky to be a banker in those days um so it was kind of people i worked with and then after that there was nobody really until reasonably recently the last sort of 10 years so the chap i've worked with is um he's been a chairman of a business i've been involved in the chairman of a charity is Saken Alyssa. So Saken Alyssa is a very interesting chap. So he is uh, half Nigerian, half English, grew up in a two up, two down in Nottingham. And now he's Saken Alyssa, the Lord Lieutenant of Greater London. So he's, if you ever see the royal family, whenever they're out in London, yeah. Greater London, he <coughs> he um, kind of, he's the one looking after them, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So he's the, the mixed race guy with a sword. And he, he was very, very involved in the combination of the king um, reasonably recently. So he's been someone where I meet every six months and I'll meet him. I met him quite recently. And I go, hi, Piers, how's it going? How's the hit rate? And I go, well, I've been, involved, yeah, I've been involved in three businesses. Two haven't really worked out and well, one's gone a bit south. And he'd be like, that's a fantastic result. <laughs> I'm like, what? So all I'm thinking about is the two that haven't really worked out. I'm so depressed. I don't want to get out of bed. He's and, nice though. To... But he's objective. He's like, that's yeah. amazing. Usually one in, one, only one in 10 make it. Brilliant. Anything else? And then I remember a while ago, I met him. This is about a few years ago now. And there's a few things going on in my life and I was a bit sort of down when I went to see him. And I was like, he said, how's it going? Well, I got this and that and I'm not sure about this. And and he was like, Pierce, pull yourself together. Self-pity does not suit you. And I remember this day thinking, he's absolutely right. Get your hands together and get out. And, and the, Even the mighty Pierce yeah. Piers Linney. Oh, yeah. You know, I just, to, I like, have a hard look he in the mirror. He proverbially just slapped me hard across the That's face really and cool. get out of my office. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic, yes. Right, so if there was one thing that you would encourage the listeners to do after listening to this podcast, what would it be? So one is, 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 is my advice is, is, let's talk about artificial intelligence, right? You can take my, my advice, but learn, and you can do this on YouTube, right, is learn the basics of what it is and how it works. That gives you the context of what the hell you can actually extract from this. <clears throat> Understand things like, you know, what's large language model, what does GPT mean? What's the transformer? How does it work? What's multimodal mean? What's the, and then go and try these things. Try text to image. Try text to video. And what they're going to do, you're going to uh, try, go on um, you know, a runway, for example, and use text to video. So go in there and say, create me a short video, probably a four seconds, of an astronaut riding horse on a beach through the surf at, in golden hour. Boom. Now, you might find the horse has got one human leg. <laughs> and you think, that's a bit rubbish. But just stop for a moment and think about where this is going. Because within five years, you have to sit down at home on a Saturday night with your popcorn and say, right, computer, create me a cowboy film that's a bit funny 
and it's got these kind of characters in it. It's this long, and I want beginning, middle, and end a bit like this. But, yeah, yeah. but don't tell me the ending, or give me two endings to choose from. Boom, it'll create it, and you watch it. So don't get lost in what it is today. Think about the art of the possible. And then once you've understood the basics, focus on generative AI. So generative AI is things like ChatGPT, Google Bard, and lots of them. And understand how you how you create prompts, how you provide context, how you use them, how you use things like plugins, uh, how you actually use them to access the internet and other forms of database, how you use them like Code Interpreter, which is part of ChatGPT, other ones to do um, data analysis. So data analysis now was used to be something you need a data analyst for. Now, forget it. That's going away very, very quickly. So understand how you use and then just start to use it. Start to use it to brainstorm, to create content, to write things, to challenge things, to learn, to um, take two viewpoints and, and try a personal AI and just talk to it. I spent hours, sadly, talking <laughs> to these personal AIs just to test them out. So I'll go down rabbit, I'll go down rabbit holes and talk about politics, war, you know, but sex. You, you've been through and, that and you can see them phase. like, whoa, and you think, well... Eventually now they're quite cautious. They don't want to go down rabbit holes, but eventually they're going to allow more of a conversation because they're a bit cautious now. So my advice to answer question directly is to start using this stuff and understand how it can superpower you as an individual. And if you've got a business, start to understand how it can superpower and massively differentiate your business to the competition. Beautiful. You said in there, think about the art of the possible as well. It's just a nice and, and think about what you're using, what you're seeing today is depending how old you are. If you're my age, it's pong, ding, ding, ding. The tennis, you know, the, yeah, the yeah. rubbish tennis game. If you're a bit younger, it's Nokia Snake, you know, that rubbish yeah, game. Yeah. So that's what you're seeing today. You've just offended a lot of people by calling that <clears> rubbish, by the way. Sorry, I know people love it. I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm a fan of it, but it, it, it took my lifetime to go from pong, which is that very simple yeah. tennis game to Fortnite, to um, Call of Duty, to your Forza Horizon, almost cinematic looking footage in a game. It won't take my lifetime to go from Nokia Snake style AI to something which is in incredible. It'll be two to five years tops. So it's the worst today it's ever going to be. Look, so much, so many good things in this, uh, in this conversation. Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Interstellar. <laughs> We've got it, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. It's Matthew McConaughey. I mean, for all of the ladies, you're gonna love that movie yeah. as well. Um, so, my favourite part of today, two two parts. One, I've, I kind of felt it in my heart because I've got young kids. Is encourage young people to do oh, this as hundred percent. Your children. I mean, my kids are going on an AI course. My, my, one of my business partners, Implement AI, is doing um, is get your children to really understand this technology and start using it right now. So use it as an AI, a chatbot, is a infinitely patient, infinitely knowledgeable tutor that you don't have to pay for. There you go. Get the young people doing it. Get on the courses as young as possible. And number two, superpower yourself as an owner. Scale yourself up individually yeah. and your business, and especially you know, talk about coaches. A lot of them got quite small businesses, or just mm -hmm. them. So by superpowering and scaling yourself up, you're scaling your business up. You can engage with your clients better. You can provide, and, and what you're trying to do compared to competition, as in any business, at the end of the day, is add more value to your client 
for your client for a given price than the competition does. That's it. Look, they're my two favourite bits. What's been your favourite part of this conversation? Um, so one was about uh, really is, is, is what I enjoy is talking to people like yourself. So I spend my days immersed in this stuff. It's just really sharing the power of it. And then what I often see, I can see in your eyes, is when you're talking about things, I give some examples, you can see the lights going on and like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, never thought about that. And I think that that moment of realisation of the world we are going to experience and the, the fascination of it, I think, is the, and you hear this a lot, like if it's in the film Master and Commander, where he's got this big wooden ship and he's like, the technology of our age is amazing. I'm like, okay. But I think that we literally are going to live through, assuming nothing awful happens, we're going to live through an age where the human um, lot in terms of our interaction with each other and technology, um, the human experience is going to change materially. So to me, the whole conversation is interesting just by sharing where this is going. But the key thing you've picked out is probably the Mark Andreessen uh, point, which is about, this is not about, I'll say it again, androids crunching over the skulls of, you know, of, of humans <laughs> in some horrible cityscape of the dystopian future. This is about abundance, empowerment, positivity, about scaling ourselves. Like, yeah, we're gonna have to fight the bad actors, but you've always got to do that anyway. Um, so it's about really embracing this for good. There you got it. Thank you very much, Piers Lenny. Thank you for having me.